Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. When we sit down to write, we're often bombarded with too many details. We're in this constant and brutal battle with the facts of our experience, with the details of the world and the needs of our story. So the question we must constantly ask is, what do I leave in? What do I leave out? Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach. And each week, we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. Paul Astor once said, the truth of the story lies in the details. And writing is all about the selection of those details. We create this world on the page and that world demands a concrete, tactile world for our characters and our readers to put their hands all over, to touch, smell, taste, hear and see. But when we sit down to write, we're often bombarded with too many details. We're in this constant and brutal battle with the facts of our experience, with the details of the world and the needs of our story. So the question we must constantly ask is, what do I leave in? What do I leave out? Here's the thing. No object, no matter how small or seemingly random, should be included in your story for mere decoration or just to provide setting or simply because it was or could have been there in the room. It needs to be made use of. It needs to be there in service of your story. When we pay attention to the objects and details in our stories, they begin to take on metaphoric weight. They evoke images, and this is the quickest route to the reader's emotional engagement. Details that evoke the senses blast through the reader's intellect, and they provoke the reader to not only think, but more important, to feel. 
But how do we choose with all the associations, all the details life hands us, all the leaps our minds make while we're in the throes of writing? How do we focus? How do we, after our initial drafts are sprawled in front of us, know what to keep and what to discard? Well, it turns out when it comes to choosing significant details, we do it every day, moment by moment. We choose what to notice and what to ignore. And your writing demands the very same selection. You already know how to do this. We all have this innate filtering process. This filtering is not only instinctive, it's essential. In order to survive daily life, we've developed this filtering mechanism simply to get from one day to another, from one moment to the next. In fact, there's a form of madness that social scientists suggest results from a failure to block out sensory noise to a sustainable level. And it's even being theorized now that attention deficit disorder is a byproduct of too muchness, too much sensory overload. So if we didn't have this ability to filter, we'd be inundated with details. We'd be overstimulated. We'd go mad. So we know how to filter out the trivial and focus on what's worthy of our attention at any given moment. Our ability to filter, focus, and select, by the way, is what we're talking about when we talk about narrative viewpoint. Your point of view character's perspective depends in large part on what he or she chooses to see and how he or she sees it. It's what your character chooses to ignore. It's what your character can't help noticing. The pitfall sometimes of writing from an omniscient point of view is that everyone's viewpoint is of equal value from the main character, sometimes all the way down to a passing stranger on the street. And when you do that, you dilute the point of view that's most essential to telling your story. It's better to focus on one point of view and get really grounded in that character's consciousness. Point of view is not just a matter of first, second, or third person. It's the mind of your story. It's the consciousness of your story. Even Kanan once said that point of view boils down to two things selection of details, and the ordering of events. As the point of view character from which we experience the world, we're constantly shifting our field of vision. So if we think of our senses as a camera lens, at every given moment, we focus on what matters to us from the fly buzzing around our ear at night to the sound of a tree cracking outside our window during an ice storm, or to the cry of our baby in the middle of the night. 
So moment by moment, we focus on what demands our attention and everything else fades into the background. And that field of vision is constantly morphing to focus on what's important for us to pay attention to. And this happens moment by moment, whether we're conscious of it or not. So let's talk about how details can reveal your characters or your narrative persona's emotional world. The poet Wei Tai says this, poetry presents the thing in order to convey the feeling. It should be precise about the thing and reticent about the feeling For as soon as the mind responds and connects with the thing, the feeling shows in the words. This is how poetry enters deeply into us. Often, the most powerful way to reveal our characters' feelings is not by describing how they feel, as in, Marcia felt lonely, but by using objects and details as repositories for those emotions. Loneliness can be captured in the smallest detail. Suzanne Burney captures her young protagonist's feelings of low self-worth by describing the damaged things in her house. This is from A Crime in the Neighborhood. I noted the worn patches in the hallway's oriental runner, the scuff marks on the stairs, the scorch at the back of the lampshade in the living room. The volume control knob had fallen off the hi-fi, leaving a forked metal bud. Stephen had spilled India ink on the sofa, and if you turned over the left cushion, you found a deep blue stain shaped like a moose antler. I had never realized our house contained so many damaged things. So she tells us something essential about herself, but she gets at it a slant through describing the objects in her house. So there's camouflage and revelation at the same time. Our emotions continually shape how We view the outside world and the objects inside it. What we see is constantly transmuting. It's always corresponding to our shifting interior state. So there's an inner life to objects. Charles Baxter once said, when we look at things, things look back. When we look at things, things look back. So if we're truly aware, life presents us with metaphors, objects that are emotionally significant. That is, they have this emotional charge that represents a larger and more complex emotional truth. So my mother lives in a lakefront house in the Adirondacks. The lake is man-made, but the view of the lake is spectacular and vast, and it fills floor-to-ceiling windows on the south side of the house. Now, when my stepfather was sick with cancer, 
He he was sick for over a decade, but in the last year before he died, there was a breach in the dam and the entire lake emptied and flooded the streets. For a whole year, the last of his life, as he got sicker and more frail, all that was left of that lake was barren land. As spring turned to summer, tufts of grass and weeds would sprout up in certain spots, and sometimes you'd see little shallow pools of water that resembled rain puddles. And so the image of that empty lake is the image that has stayed with me over the years. Whenever I think of my stepfather and the year he died, those two events are forever inextricably linked in my mind. I cannot think of his death or really of him without the image of that empty, dried up lake. James Wood, author of How Fiction Works, wrote this. Literature differs from life in that life is amorphously full of detail and rarely directs us toward it whereas literature teaches us to notice. Literature teaches us to notice. Cheryl Strait in her memoir, Wild, uses the metaphor of her massive, overpacked backpack to get across the emotional load she's carrying over her mother's death. She never says this directly, but she gets at it a slant. So notice your details, those things that will bring the reader directly into the experience. Be your character, be the point of view. You already know how to do this. Select the details. Select the details that matter. Select the details that are significant. So let's wrap this up with four key takeaways. Number one, writing is all about selecting details to bring the reader into the physical and emotional experience of your character. You never want superfluous details to crowd your scenes. Everything you include must serve your story, every object, every detail. Number two, You already know how to do this, so pay attention. You select what demands your focus moment by moment, whether you're conscious of it or not, and this focal point is constantly morphing. Number three, objects are often a better and more powerful way to convey character emotion. It gets at the complexity And things are constantly morphing according to our emotional state. So tune into that. And number four, life hands us metaphors. Pay attention. Pay attention to the emotional connections you make between objects, images, and the events of your life. You already know how to do this. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Writer Unleashed. 
If this episode resonated with you, please go leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews are key to keeping Writer Unleashed on the top of the charts where other writers can find us. I'll see you next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, join us on our private Facebook group, Writer Unleashed Community. It's totally free to join. And if you want more free resources, plus writing tips, I only share an email. Sign up over at nancypinuccio.com. I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Till then, keep writing, and I'll talk to you soon.